It is lawyer talk. Time for another Q&A session. Uh, this is a question I, re- I got actually upstairs in the law practice. I did not get it at the website, uh, which doesn't mean that you're not able to send your own questions to lawyertalkpodcast.com and use the question interface there. Uh, happy to still take questions there and, and, and do and have lots of them in the in the hopper ready to go out. But uh, this question I received yesterday in my normal practice of law, I was, uh, as everybody may or may not know, I do criminal defense work. And, and part of that, I do a lot of drinking and driving defense. In Ohio, we call that OVI. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it's, it, I always say this about OVIs. It's probably the most complex area of law. Uh, now, you would say, well, wait a minute. What about federal criminal defense or white collar defense and murder cases and child sex cases, et cetera. Well, I mean, there's an argument to be made there about severity of the consequences, but I'm talking about just fundamentally complicated uh, legal issues, scientific issues, administrative issues, et cetera. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, If you get an OVI, it immediately implicates Fourth Amendment issues. In other words, there was a stop, there was a seizure, there was an arrest most often, and all those things have to be justified under the Fourth Amendment. And there's an entire body of law in the Fourth Amendment that's developed around drinking and driving traffic stops uh, and arrests. And then here in Ohio, we have field sobriety testing. So field sobriety tests involve administrative regulations. Uh, they involve um, uh, some pseudoscience. I'm not going to actually call that science. And you have to understand what all the pseudoscience is, what the administrative regulations are in order to admit uh, the results of the tests into a court uh, hearing or a trial. Uh, so it's got I- implications of pseudoscience, implications of administrative law, and then actual uh, going to court, question and answer, trial advocacy. Um, and then beyond that, you have breath testing law. Now, this is like, again, I, I hate to say it's science because that gives breath tests a, a, a measure of credibility maybe that doesn't deserve. But there, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on with breath testing and whether or not they're accurate. Do they measure the correct measure of breath, of deep lung breath, uh, is there radio frequency interference? Are there power surges that can uh, change the outcome of the test? Does somebody have mouth alcohol or uh, GERDs, uh, gastric reflux type of uh, issues? Even diabetes type issues can uh, arguably impact the validity of those tests. And and then you know beyond that you have those uh, you have also corresponding administrative regulations designed to uh, tell us when and and when not those are admitted into trial as evidence. And, and again, you have the uh, the trial advocacy component because I've had scientists on the witness stand. I've called my own experts on the witness stand. And then then you have just basic OVI defense. You have to actually go into a courtroom. You have to try the case. You have to do all sorts of, um, uh, you, have to, you have to use every trick in the book, so to speak, as a trial lawyer. And, and beyond those issues, you have the administrative side of things. You have driver's license issues. You have suspensions that you have to deal with, reinstatement you have to deal with, uh, insurance issues often come up. Uh, in short, OVI is as complicated as it gets. I, I developed a series at one point called DUI 360 because I think you have to take a 360-degree look at OVIs when you get one because it impacts so many areas of your life. All right, with that preface, uh, let me get to the question. I was resolving a case yesterday, and uh, my uh, my client was charged with not his first offense, but second offense OVI. Now, in most states, Ohio included, if you get your first offense, there's minimum penalties that uh, have to be imposed. The second offense, things start to get ratcheted up. And here in Ohio, if you're just convicted of a regular second offense, that under the state code, the Ohio Revised Code, that means it's your second offense in the last 10 years. Um, there's mandatory punishment that has to be imposed. Like judges don't have a di- have discretion here. And if you're convicted of a second offense OVI, you get a mandatory 10 day 
consecutive sentence. That means 10 days in jail, and it's not like on weekends so you can keep your job. It's like 10 straight days. You go to jail and you get out 10 days later. Um, That's what, in theory, happens on a second offense OVI. Now, I had uh, some issues. I raised the constitutional issues in pretrial motions. I raised some administrative issues in pretrial motions. I believe the uh, state trooper who uh, conducted the stop, the arrest, and the field sobriety test did not follow the regulations and the rules correctly. We challenged that, and we were able to negotiate a resolution to the case. Um, and it was a decent resolution because I only had uh, you know, I had uh, maybe a foothold of issue. Maybe a, we call it a foothold where I got a little bit to push back, a little bit of leverage on the case, but it wasn't a slam dunk from my perspective, but it, it got me to, it got the prosecutor rather to the negotiating table. And he said, I will give you a stipulated first offense. Now the question my client had is what the heck is a stipulated first offense OVI? This is something folks we call a legal fiction. Legal fictions are created when lawyers decide we're just going to agree to do it uh, this way instead of what the law would ordinarily require. So by all rights, if my client pled guilty, to an OVI. It's a second offense because this one occurred within 10 years of the last. And it should have been a second offense OVI with second offense penalties. However, a stipulation is fancy lawyer talk words to say, we're going to agree to treat this differently. We're going to agree, the parties, the prosecutor, the defense lawyer, the defendant, we're going to say, you know what, let's just pretend that this is only a first offense OVI. That way, if you plead guilty, you don't have to do that mandatory 10-day kicking the backside. You're only going to do three days in a driver's intervention program over a weekend at a hotel. Um, You're not going to have the ratcheted up uh, supervision and all the other nonsense that might go along with a second offense in the jurisdiction where I was. And we're going to agree just to, to tell the judge, no judge, this is a first offense. So a stipulated first offense is nothing more than legal mumbo jumbo nonsense to say, we're just going to act like it's a first offense, even though we all know it's a second offense. Well, then step two is you got to go to the judge and you have to say, judge, we're going to do a stipulated first. And the judge says, well, uh, I'll go along with that or no, I won't. There was a judge in Franklin County Municipal Court who notoriously said, counsel, we don't treat anything like anything other than what it is in my courtroom. So that judge would never take a stipulated first offense. She just wouldn't do it. Um, fortunately, our judge yesterday agreed wholeheartedly to go along with a stipulated first offense, and my client then was able to resolve his case. We entered a plea of guilty. He got mandatory minimum punishment on a first offense OVI. Now, this does not mean, and here's, here's where another question arises on the heels, or on the wake, rather, of, uh, of a stipulated first. Um, what happens if I get another one? Is it only a second if I get another one? And the answer is a resounding no. A stipulated first is an OVI. It's on your record. And if now you have two within 10 years and you pick up another one uh, shortly after that, it starts out as a third offense OVI. Um, Just to give you a little, to whet your appetite on what that means, you can start with 30 days in the clink on a third offense OVI in Ohio. After that, you start to get really draconian with possible felonies, et cetera. But uh, just because you had a stipulated first on your second time around or even on your third time around, it still counts as an OVI uh, in the running tally. So if you picked up another one, well, uh, you know, call me. You'll need help because uh, it starts to get really, really ugly. So the question was, what the heck is a stipulated first OVI? Now you know the answer. Stipulated first OVI is where everybody just agrees to treat an OVI as a first offense with first offense penalties, not uh, multiple offender penalties, just because we did. And that happened yesterday, for instance, because we have 
uh, or we had a foothold of an argument. We were able to negotiate uh, based on a constitutional challenge and an administrative challenge to the admissibility of the evidence. So uh, everything worked out great for my client. He was exceedingly pleased, and uh, we got the case resolved. So that's, uh, that, that is my simplified approach at breaking down uh, OVI negotiations here in Ohio. And, and like I say, you know, I, I, I like to make things simple, and almost everything can be made simple here at Lawyer Talk Podcast. Um, and if you've got your own question, you've got your own concerns, or if you need, uh, uh, you just want to comment or want us to discuss something here on Lawyer Talk, go to lawyertalkpodcast.com. We've got our interface and, and uh, submit your question. Uh, and as always, if you happen to need legal help in any area, I can almost always refer you somewhere if I can't do it in-house. Uh, check us out at ohiolegaldefense.com, 614-224-6142. So this is Lawyer Talk hitting you up with another Q&A off the record on the air, at least until now.